Thank you for listening to the Grace Harvest Church podcast. For more information, go to graceharvestchurch.org. Good morning. Uh, My name is Drew. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, I'm over the area of worship, and I'm excited to be able to share with you and continue in our series that we've been going through for the summer. It's called Galatians Keep in Step, and uh, we're going through the entire book of Galatians. And if you've missed a few Sundays, I would definitely recommend going back and checking it out. It's been very, very good. Um, We've got a couple weeks left. I think we've got two two passages, and then a roundtable discussion. And I think Pastor Noah is going to try to sneak in one more message about circumcision before we wrap this thing up. <clears throat> That's just the joke that keeps on, it just keeps on giving. So um, so this morning, we are, we are in Galatians 5. We're at the end of Galatians chapter 5. Uh, 5.25 is where we're going to start. We're going to go through 6.10. Y'all ready? Okay, we'll read this together. Starting in verse 25 of 5, he says, If we live by the Spirit, this is Paul, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted, and bear one another's burdens. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially those who are of the household of faith. Amen? So if I can sum up this, there's a lot here in this passage, right? If I can just sum up this passage in like one line in case you get lost somewhere. Um, It's the family of God walks with the spirit, fulfills the law of Christ, and reaps a harvest of the fruit of the spirit, okay? And I don't want to spend too much time trying to recap all all the things because there's so much uh, to it, so many things to get into, but... But here's a brief recap of Paul's main points up to this time. Um, And the first thing is this. There is no other gospel but that of Jesus Christ, right? And any distortion of that truth nullifies what Jesus did on the cross. The second is that the people of God are people who have faith in Jesus. Their trust is in Jesus. And the third is because the Spirit dwells in us as believers... We should actually be behaving differently and walking differently. And we should be in unity as people. Amen? And so throughout the entire book, Paul is, um, in, in, in case you forgot, Paul is mad. He's very, very mad. He's upset. He's using very strong language. Um, but he makes this case, and it's like airtight, like a lawyer. 
right? Like there's kind of no way to get in there and, and, and try to make another point over what he's doing. Um, but now we're actually coming to the application, the pastoral application. So it's a little bit softer. And basically, here, here's all the things that, you know, that we know to be true, and here's what you do with those things now, right? And so in 25, he starts, and he says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And the idea here is that the things that are happening in the world, kind of what we see in culture, all the, all the good stuff that you're, you're probably seeing on social media and all the other places, that shouldn't be happening in the church, right? Divisions, backbiting, envy, all those things. That's not us. We are new creations, right? We were dead in our sin, but we've been made alive in Jesus. And back in Galatians 4, 6, Paul actually reminds the Galatians, and he reminds us right now, that the spirit of Jesus within us as believers cries out, Abba, Father, cries out, Beloved Father, Dear Father, like kids when they see their dad, right? Because we've been found. We're seen. We have help. We're not alone. And we act differently because of that. We know who our Father is. Amen? And one of the things that, that marked the early church in its... Um, its initial stages was radical love towards each other. And that's actually, and, and other humans as well, and that's why it grew so fast throughout the Roman Empire and throughout history, is because it was countercultural. And so he wraps up the, the previous passage about walking with the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit, which I'm sure we're all pretty familiar with, but he ends with that line, walk in the Spirit, right? Keep in step. We don't operate like the world does. We've been made alive. We've been made new. And if that is true, right, if we are alive, then we have to keep in step, which literally means walk in a line. And I think sometimes it feels good to say I'm walking with Jesus and that's okay. But this actually means you're, walk, you're following Jesus. You're behind him walking in a line and you're doing what you see him doing right? That's literally what the word means. The act of following the Spirit means that you have to lay down your own life. And can I tell you that I, I hope sometimes I don't come across as like I know everything. This is for me, right? So like every time any preacher gets up and they're, and they're doing their thing, like the Lord is speaking to the person speaking, if you know what I mean. So I'm not, I don't have this figured out, okay? But the act of following the Spirit means that we have to lay our lives down. And we have to walk a different path. We have to walk a different way. And then there, there, there's a reminder at the end to not look at what God is doing in other people's lives and in their own journey and become envious, right? I wish God was doing that for me. Becoming envious, becoming jealous. Pastor Raul talked about that a little bit last week. But we need to celebrate each other, right? We need to celebrate what God is doing in our church, what he's doing in us as individuals. Amen? And so as, as we move through this, there's two really big ideas. I know this is a huge, like, wall of text, but the, 
the reality is, is there, there's two main ideas here. And the first is fulfill the law of Christ. And then the second is sow and reap. Fulfill the law of Christ and sow and reap. And so in, in verse 6, we, we come into this, the, the big part of this passage again. It says, brothers, if anyone is caught in transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work. And then his reason to boast will be in himself and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. And let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. What is the law of Christ? Throughout the book of Galatians, there's this tension between faith and works or faith and the law, and, and he contrasts slavery and freedom. And we alluded to this a little bit in our roundtable discussion a couple weeks back. But it's not freedom to do whatever we want, right? Sometimes Americans love freedom, okay? We love, yeah, America, exactly. You step out your door on the 4th of July and you can smell the the fireworks and the gunpowder, and you're just like, oh, smells like freedom. <laughs> smells like freedom out here. Um, but it's, it's freedom to follow Christ without hindrance and without the curse of the law. And, and Paul actually, throughout this book, he's going back to Genesis, he's going back to Exodus, he goes back to Deuteronomy and Leviticus um, to make his points, but also to give us a, a framework to try to understand what Jesus did. And when he says, don't submit again to a yoke of slavery, he's bringing us back, the readers back as well, to the Exodus story. And the main purpose of the Exodus story was that so that the people of God could worship freely and so that they could follow God. See, we have new laws. We aren't as free as probably the American context would like to put on the Bible. Everyone knows the, uh, you know, the little, the little icon that, that shows up when, you, uh, when you're on a plane. You, know, you can unfasten your seatbelt. You can walk around, all that good stuff if you've flown. It's probably not a good idea to jump out of the plane, right? You're, you're not really free to do that. You're free to get up and move around within the space of the plane, but you probably should not jump out of the plane, Okay. And it's a similar idea in some ways that we're slaves to righteousness, to something else. But that's the beauty of the, the Holy Spirit at work in us as believers, is that we should actually start naturally gravitating towards the things of the Spirit. And I find it really interesting that at the Feast of Passover, if you've taken communion, you, you remember, you know what, what we're kind of talking about here. But at the Feast of Passover, Jesus broke bread. And he said, this is my body, and he took the cup, and, and he said, this is my blood. And he was illustrating with that story, which is about the liberation of God's people, right, in Exodus, about what he was doing for the whole world, what he was going to do for the whole world, right? And then at the celebration of Pentecost, when the disciples are all praying, do you remember what happened? He poured out his spirit in the upper room. So that we as people became the temple 
of the Holy Spirit. And it's, and it's interesting because at that time, historically, they were cel- that Pentecost was celebrating actually the giving of the law and the giving of Torah. And so it's interesting that at that moment, and, and Paul alludes to this earlier, if you've been here and you've heard that, or you, maybe you know Galatians, but he reminds us that the law did not have power to give life. And then on Pentecost, Jesus pours out his spirit, which is able to give life, right? Paul reminds us that the law couldn't do what Jesus did for us. Amen. We have life because of Jesus. We've been made new, and so we can actually authentically follow Jesus without going through the motions, right? Jesus said that he came to fulfill the law, which is to say that he actually just achieved what no one else could do. He came to do the law. And he literally says that in Matthew, Matthew 5, he, you know, I didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets, and then when the Pharisees questioned Jesus about which law was most important, and, and again, all pretty familiar texts, they're trying to trick him. They're trying to trap him. And he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And then Jesus gives his disciples a new one, right? Like a new commandment I give to you that you need to love one another like I love you. And so the law of Christ is, is emptying self-sacrificial love. The creator of all things became a creation. He became one of us. He suffered. He died at that time a death of complete humiliation. The cross wasn't what it is now back then. It was shameful. He was mocked. He was spit on. And even though angel armies were at his command, he didn't defend himself. But he broke the powers of darkness through his death. Through his humility and through his love, he broke the powers of darkness. And that very much is counterintuitive to us as people when it comes to power. We like Americans especially, guns, armies, war, muscle, strength, and that's how we view power. And Jesus broke the powers of darkness through love and through humility. I, I think many times in my own life that I barely know what that type of love actually means and actually how to do it, how to live it out. It's difficult to comprehend that type of sacrifice that you would lay everything down. And yet this is the law of Christ. And this is how we follow Jesus is that we do what he did. The love of God is mysterious. We don't fully understand love many times. I know I don't. Maybe you have it all figured out. You love people perfectly. You love your spouse perfectly. But many of us treat love as a feeling, right? There's a million songs out there about love. Loving you is easy because you're beautiful. No one writes songs about loving you is easy because you're homely. You know what I mean? Many people treat love like a feeling. 
And when that feeling goes away, that it means that I don't love you anymore. And that's how we view it. You lost that loving feeling, right? Another classic. But the truth is, is that as believers, as people of God, we've been shown a way different way. We've been shown a covenantal way to approach love, right? And that is more to do with a choice. I made a decision at this point in time, and I will keep making that decision over and over and over. It's a choice that you make day after day. Because I love my wife, I'm going to do this, and I'm not going to do that. And so it's about choosing Jesus and his ways over and over and over when you wake up, when you go to sleep. And it's one of the ways that we actually are able to demonstrate our faithfulness to him. He's faithful to us. Did you actually know that you can show your faithfulness to God and that that's part of the, the, the idea of even faithfulness itself is a trusting relationship between people? In every situation that you find yourself in, dealing with people maybe you don't want to deal with today, when your boss is unkind, when he's unfair, when your employees right, aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing, it's about choosing love, choosing Jesus over and over and over in how we interact with other people. You, you okay out there? Okay. Love speaks the truth. That's, that's an interesting thing in our culture right now. Because I think there's an idea that if, if I disagree with you, I don't love you. And that's not the way of love for the believer. It's not the way of love for a Christian. Love speaks the truth. Because real friends and real relationships are truthful in nature, right? The beginning of, of, of chapter 6 in Galatians is actually an echo of Leviticus 19. And, um, and that's all about how you deal with your neighbor and what you should do. And then he goes on to say, if anyone is caught in transgression, we restore them in a spirit of gentleness. And, and Paul's using the language of someone who's caught in a trap. Someone who's actually has like a broken limb, broken arm, broken leg, and it has to be treated carefully. Right? If you see someone that's severely injured with a, bro a broken limb, ho hopefully you don't do this, but hopefully you don't come up and try to touch it you know, or smack it, and does that actually really hurt? Is that really broken? Don't do that, I guess. Don't do that. Gently. Bear one another's burdens like Jesus bore the cross. We are asked to emulate Jesus in his sufferings and to walk with people through their sin. That's the whole context of this, is to actually see somebody who's about ready to like walk off a cliff right here and they're about to hurt themselves and out of love and care you say I don't think you should do that and that's the context of loving your neighbor as yourself 
We're asked to emulate Jesus in his sufferings and walk people through their sin, and it's a call for patience and humility and long-suffering with each other. It isn't the wrath of God or the anger of the Lord that brings people to repentance, if you remember. It's his kindness that brings us to repentance. And then he goes on to say, be careful when you do this that you don't fall into sin. Don't become prideful when you approach people. That's the danger of calling someone else out on their sin many times. Be careful you don't become prideful. Watch out for the log that's in your own eye. Be careful of the judgment that you measure because it's going to be measured back to you. I'm sure you all remember these texts. But what he's pointing out is that we don't see ourselves rightly. We don't see ourselves the right way. And so he literally says, if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, ouch, that hurts my feelings a little bit, but he deceives himself. And our concern is that a family towards other family members needs to come out of love and care for their safety, a genuine, authentic, I care about you. And it's an idea that we all need to be reminded at some point where we would be apart from the grace of God, right? It's a good exercise. And, and I, I don't mean that you should dwell there all the time and you should stay there, but it's a good reminder when you're working with people or when someone, someone offends you or you feel like you want to go talk to somebody about something is remember where you came from, right? Remember how good God has been and the grace that he's poured out on your life and so that you would come in humility and not in arrogance and not in pride. This is a really fun one to think about. We, I didn't, this isn't my notes, but we did it first service, so we, we may as well do it this service. Let's get a little, let's get a little weird. Not too weird. Just a tiny bit. But think about the most shameful thing that you've ever done. Don't say it out loud. Think about that for a moment. The thing that you would never tell anybody else. You're like, nope. Would never tell anybody else that thing. So ashamed of it. But you know that Jesus knows that. God knows that. God saw that. And that's what he bore on the cross. Think about when he carried the cross, that thing, the most shameful things that humanity has done, he carried to that cross and he nailed it there. Right? And so as we approach other people, we have to be reminded of where we came from. Restore one another in gentleness, in humility, in patience, and fulfill the law of Christ. Do what Jesus did, right? And then we get into this other big idea here, which is sow and reap. Sow and reap. And so we start in, in verse 7. He says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. 
And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. And so then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. And Paul starts this section with a warning to be careful, be cautious. The things that have been happening behind the scenes will come out one day. They will come to fruition. The things that, you know, that, that, that nobody knows about until everyone knows about them, that will happen. This is a universal theme throughout the scripture that's kind of built into the earth itself, the ground, right? But it also is seemingly built into the fabric of our existence as people when it comes to relationships, and it's this idea of planting seeds and harvesting something. But the warning is this reminder that God is the ultimate judge of everything and everyone. And that you're actually dealing with God in the end. You can fool people for a long time. And we all know that. But at some point, everyone is going to stand before God who saw everything. Who judges rightly, who sees everything rightly. And there's another observation from this text is you can't reap what you haven't sown. You can't reap what you haven't sown. And so he leans into this a little bit more by kind of provoking, examine this, what are you sowing? Examine what you're sowing. It's really important for us as Christians to be intentional about what we are sowing, what we're doing with our time, the talents, the things that God has given us, the relationships that God has given us. This statement should give us pause to kind of reflect on that for a moment. What are we doing with what we've been given? What does the fruit of my life look like? What does the fruit of my relationships with people look like? Something that can be really easy to miss in these texts and we, we talk about Christian virtues and the fruit of the spirit but they don't exist in a vacuum and what I mean by that is I'm not talking about a you know something you clean your house with I mean an empty space they don't exist within an empty space and what I mean is that they require interaction with something else to prove themselves true do you really have self-control if you've never been tempted there were a lot of virtues that I thought I had down until I became a parent. And then I realized I'm not patient at all. I'm not long-suffering. And maybe you've experienced that as a parent. The fruit of the Spirit, whether we like it or not, can't be truly cultivated without people. And this whole passage isn't just about a, a philosophy or an outlook or something like that. It's, it's about a practical outpouring of sacrificial love towards other people. It's about us. It's about you, me, the people that we interact with. Because he ends chapter 5 by saying, don't be conceited. Don't be envious and stop provoking one another. Sounds like what I say to my kids. Please stop fighting. Oh, my gosh. And then chapter 6, right, by saying, the end of chapter 6, he says, 
when you have the chance, be good to everyone and especially other Christians. He kind of frames this whole thing as people. And so we actually need each other to be able to put into practice the disciplines of the law of Christ. You can't grow as a Christian without other Christians. Ooh, that's really unpopular. But the lone Christian is antithetical to the entire life of Jesus and the purpose of Jesus. Jesus walked with people. People that were kind of dense sometimes. If you've read the Gospels and, and you kind of understand some of the language, you're like, yeah, he was, he, I, I won't say it, but, you know, he was, he's like, you guys aren't very smart sometimes. <laughs> Jesus' words, not mine. Um, and so we follow that example by people, by working through these disciplines with people. And relationships. Reaping and sowing is relational. The fruit of the Spirit is a beautiful reminder of what used to be in the Garden of Eden, right? Where God and, and Adam and Eve, and there was unbroken relationship, everything was perfect. It's a reminder of that we get to experience that right now. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. We can experience the goodness of God, and what the future will look like. We can practice it right now, but the truth is, is that there's no mystery why Paul uses this, this analogy, this metaphor of reaping and sowing. Because sowing and reaping takes a long time. It takes a long time. It takes patience. Thanks, perseverance. We live in a world that's very much driven by consumerism. And by now, right now. We've got two-day shipping. We've got one-day shipping, if I'm feeling really impatient. You know, I need that thing that I actually don't really need, but I want it right now. I want it tomorrow. As soon as I see the red receipt all my texts that I just sent you, I want an answer back right now. <laughs> People forget sometimes that cell phones used to not be a thing. And I, yeah, I won't go there, but. But it's the space between the sowing and the reaping where growth actually happens. It's in the waiting where we let go of what we can do and we trust in God's processes to bring forth the fruit that he actually wants to. Where all the necessary working components and processes actually turn seeds into fruit. And that's where we participate in faithfulness in the waiting. But the waiting is difficult. And in verse 9, he says, let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. And it's interesting because the, the word do here basically means your. As it pertains to you. 
So if we look at that again, and let us not grow weary of doing good for in your season, you will reap if you don't give up in your season. You've probably observed this in your own life, but you can't change the seasons. Maybe you tried when you were a kid. You did some rain dances or something like that. <laughs> but you can't change it. You wanted Christmas in June, but you can't change it. It doesn't matter if you start wearing sweatshirts in June and drinking pumpkin spice lattes. It's not the fall. It's not autumn. You can wear sandals, tank tops, and shorts in January. And some people do, and good for them. This is America. But it's still winter. It's still winter. It doesn't make it summer. And so we can strive against our season and we can fight it. But it doesn't change the season. The season that we find ourselves in when it comes to reaping is actually out of our hands, it's not in our control. But what is in our control is what. And how much you sow. What are you sowing and what are you sowing into? Don't grow weary of doing good, of showing the love of Christ and exemplifying the fruit of the Spirit wherever you have a chance because in the timing of God, you will reap a harvest in your season. And as we kind of bring things to a close here. I have a question for you. I don't really want an answer to it, but it's posed like a question. <laughs> How do we not grow weary? How do we not grow weary? We rest. And I'm all for vacation and days off and recreation and relaxing, and that's all good. God rested, right? When he looked on creation, he was like, it's good. He looked at all the things that he had done. He was like, it's good. And so it's good for us to experience that type of rest. But for us as people, it's Jesus who gives the rest. In Matthew 11, Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are weary, and you'll find rest for your souls. And there are so many ways that we can try to rest. And so many things that we trust to bring us rest that will not bring us rest. Distraction won't bring us rest. Whatever the things that in your life that are your way of unplugging and kind of like getting away from the world it's not even necessarily a bad thing, but it won't bring you rest. It won't bring you the true rest that Jesus gives us. And that's the beauty of Sabbath and reaping and sowing and this whole process is that when we've done what we can do, then we wait for God who will do the work and he'll do the real work 
and he'll do better than you can do. And he'll do better than I can do in my own striving. In the waiting, God will do what only he's able to do, that no one else can do, that you can't do in your own strength. And he'll take the smallest seed, some of the things, interactions with people that you think mean nothing, mean everything. And he'll take that and he'll turn it into something beautiful for his kingdom. Amen. And so we have to rest. We've got to rest in him and trust in the changing of seasons in his timing and not in our timing. And so we follow Jesus by walking with one another through the most difficult things, the ugly things of life, not just the good things. And by showing sacrificial love towards each other, right? And the people that are around us that are in our sphere of influence and by waiting patiently on the Lord who is where our strength is found. That's the strength of a believer. He will renew our strength as we wait. He will give us true rest. And so we keep going and we keep moving and we stay in step with the Spirit. 